hello and welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. This is episode 41, and we've got a great show for you this week. Co-presenter Ian Holmes returns, and we welcome special guest and recently crowned American Rally Association Open Two-Wheel Drive co-driver champion, Martin Brady. We'll go over with him his background and their championship run this year, as well as what it's like rallying in the U.S. versus abroad. Then me and Ian will get into a little bit of the rally news of what's going on both here in America with the new uh, schedule release from ARA, as well as WRC news. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. Well, hello, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and as I said in the opening, we welcome back to the show the man who's taking things back to the 1920s, complete with smuggling moonshine in the back of a Model T Ford, Ian Holmes. Ian, welcome back! Did you miss me? <laughs> oh, Mike, I, I missed the, the the whole of my my rally family. It's been quite uh, the emotional roller coaster of the past few weeks since uh, since uh, Ojibwe. Um, those who know me know that uh, I'm also a keen model railroader, and I was invited to aim that to show my work at a national convention in Minneapolis a couple of weeks after after Ojibwe, and uh, as a result of that. A model railroad magazine publisher has asked if I'd write an article for his uh, magazine on my work. So I was on a bit of a re- I was on a real high there, and then a couple of weeks later we hit a bit of a low when uh, unfortunately my my mother-in-law passed away. She'd been very ill for a long time, but uh, so that was a bit of a bit of bit of a um, bit of a downer. But, Sorry uh, to hear so that. We, so it's always yeah. tough to to lose someone that you're you've been close to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there was a lot of aftermath with the, the the funeral and all that kind of stuff to to to, to deal with. But uh, hopefully things are, are getting back on a more even keel now. And as you mentioned, yes, uh, yeah, I am now the proud owner of a 1926 Model T Ford. Anybody who knows me knows that I love old cars, old classic cars, and you can't get much more classic than than a Model T Ford, the car that shaped America. And uh, yeah, the uh, moonshine. Well, the person I bought it from is a bit bit of a history buff, and uh, they they like to have fun with the car, and uh, they have this big old moonshine jar jar on the back parcel shelf of the model t ford and so uh, that goes with the car so uh, we'll be driving this car across the prairies of minnesota with a big old moonshine jar on the back uh, back parcel shelf <laughs> i just happened to notice because uh yeah there's a picture of you in the car you're kind of you know l- looking kind of towards the back there and i'm like what that's a giant jug handle back there what the? <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff brilliant stuff uh, so it runs well. It uh, it it runs what for for a 1926 car it runs very very well indeed. Yes, uh, luckily I'm going to be uh, going to be in the position of not having to do an awful lot to it, which is very nice. Uh, All right. Well, um, moving on, we are going to of course bring on next our special guest that we have this week, uh, Martin Brady. He is the current Open Two Wheel Drive champion with the American Rally Association. So when we come back. It'll be with Martin. Well, as I said in our intro, we have with us now American Rally Association Open Two-Wheel Drive co-driver champion, Martin Brady of JRD Rally Sport and uh, other co-driving experience. Martin Brady, welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. 
Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, it's so great to have you. Um, a, a heck of a championship you had this year here in the States. Uh, first of all, I want to say congratulations on that championship. But for our listeners that don't really know your background a little bit, uh, give us a little bit of start in the beginning of the beginning there of how you became uh, such a great co-driver. Uh, you know, obviously we, we see you here in the States, uh, you know, uh, with Seamus a lot and, uh, and heard about other exploits a little bit. But, you know, I always think that in Ireland, there's so much rallying going on. You could probably pretty much open your front door and there's rally cars. Yeah, pretty much. Well, thank you. Yes, we had a good season. Um, all, all just went pretty flawless and you don't get those seasons all the time. You know, there's always some drama somewhere, but we didn't seem to find that this year. Seamus never put a wheel wrong. The team never put a wheel wrong. Everything was perfect there. So it was, yeah, this one was definitely a memorable season for those reasons. For me and rallying, yes, I suppose I'm I'm getting to be more of a veteran these days. Um, I'm not a junior anymore, definitely, that's for sure. As my wife keeps reminding me regularly <laughs> enough now, you know, I'm getting on in years and I'm getting on in numbers of events. Uh, recently, I crossed my 400th event, so I'm up somewhere now. I think I'm up somewhere around 410 events that I've competed on, and I started in the year 2000 in Ireland. And obviously, because Ireland is quite... Uh, concentrated place for rallying yes you're right in saying that we could we could have we could do an event sometimes two events every weekend at home in ireland and because of that that's how i managed to to reach that number over the period of of 18 years uh where i live in the west of ireland i wouldn't go as far as to say that i could just open my door and get to a rally but i could probably be at any rally within two two and a bit hours every weekend so there there is that opportunity and we're we're very lucky to have what we have there because we have both closed road rallying on public ro tarmac roads that are closed for, for our benefit for the tarmac rallies. And then we also have good forestry rallies. Maybe we don't have the same mileage as you would have on the loose surface forestry stuff as we're used to in the U.S. because just for the sheer geographical size of the forest, you know, we're in the U.S. you're playing on a much larger scale when you get into, into forests. But uh, we still have good stuff, classic stuff, enjoyable stuff. And we have a, a fairly strong forestry championship running in the country, well put together, good, fairly compact, but in enjoyable uh, events. And yeah, because of that, that's why we managed to get so many miles under our belt and so much experience. And there's nothing like experience in rallying. Every day's a school day. That's what I think anyway. You know, you learn something every rally and you'll always come upon something different, some new scenario. And it's, you're always learning. And that's that's what I enjoy about the sport, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so what got you hooked? I mean, what was your, your like first rally you can remember experiencing that's like, ah, I got to be a part of this? Yeah, well, I can remember it like it were yesterday because it was outside the front door of my parents' house. Ha! Huh, see, I was Ireland. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's was, funny. In, in those days, it was very much, yes, absolutely outside the front door of the house. It was um, the Circuit of Ireland, which is a name of a rally that would probably mean something to, I'm sure, a good oh, portion yes. of your listeners. Mm -hmm. it was quite, quite a famous rally and it's it's up there it's it's a very recognizable name a stage of that rally started outside my parents house in 1990 and at that point i was a young schoolboy at the time very very interested in all things ford particularly ford tractors and that was what my life was all about you know i grew up on a farm and anything that was blue oval particularly blue oval tractors was you know that that caught my attention 
went to watch the rally and there was two cars in particular that caught my eye. There were Ford Sierras. They were identical to my eye and they were identical looking cars. They turned out to be the Group A works entry for Jimmy McRae and then the Group N entry for his son, Colin McRae, who at the time I didn't know anything of other than these guys were cool to me because they were in cars with Ford logos that looked really, really good and really fast, even standing still. And that's what got my interest at that point because you're talking back in the days, I know this is going to make me sound like real old, you know, but these are pre-internet days where, you know, the only source for uh, rally information was through specialist magazines and maybe TV programs. At that point in time, I thought there this was the only rally. I didn't know there was a, a wider playing pitch out there and there was more rallies other than that. So I thought I had to wait until the following year for the next Circuit of Ireland rally to come. And that's what it was like for a year or two before I realised that there was a bigger a bigger field out there and, and other rallies you could go to and other rallies you could watch. And then I started going to rallies uh, locally with um, just one of my neighbours. He took me to rallies to spectate and also to, to marshal what you guys call work workers here in the US and got involved in that. And then in my college years, I went to college in Donegal, joined the motor club there, became involved in the motor club there. Again, work on rallies, you know, marshalling, timekeeping, that sort of stuff then graduated from that to my first what we would have called a, a night navigation rally which is rallies on maps that don't exactly have special stages but they have kind of like I think what you guys have here in you know, the Targa rallies, timed mm-hmm. rallies it's more about finding your way around on a map, getting to particular points in the right direction at the right time, that sort of stuff did a couple of those and then graduated to proper stage rallying in 2000, uh, luckily enough for me it was it was a good one because I started my first rally in a Ford Sierra a rear wheel drive Ford Sierra so the circle was coming around a little bit. And I'll never forget the excitement of coming to the first junction uh, and arriving into it sideways and looking out the window and actually being on the inside of the windscreen, looking out at the spectators and the marshals and so on and going, this is this is just, this is where I want to be. This is where I need to be. <laughs> so I awesome. never had, yeah, I never had an inclination or uh, the, the confidence of myself to be a driver. I mean, uh, me as regards driving, I always give the analogy of, you know, when you see a dog chasing a car or a dog chasing a bus, I'm a bit like that dog because if I catch it, I'm not going to know what to do with it. So that's me when it comes <laughs> to driving, you know. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, like to think that I'm smarter than the average bear when it comes to driving because I've seen some things that obviously in 400-odd rallies and tests and so on, some of it goes in by osmosis. But then again, to be, you know, smarter than the average driver doesn't really say a lot because sometimes the average driver is not great. So I am... I am uh, very happy to sit in the passenger seat and watch someone else do it and just try and give them the direction. So all I ever wanted to be was a co-driver and I've been lucky that that's what I've managed to be. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, you know, to hear another co- co-driver with that point of view because when people ask me, wouldn't you want to drive? I said, nope, I'm, relive- I'm living the dream here and I'm quite happy to sit in the co-driver's seat. So, so it's like, let's talk a bit about the relationship that you have between uh, th- that you have in the car between driver and co-driver. I mean, I've watched a few of f- few of your in-car videos, and it seems incredibly relaxed when you're in the car. I mean, is nothing seem nothing seems rushed? Is it really that calm in there? I'd like to think so. Probably in my own head, it doesn't always seem so calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that you think it's calm. That's obviously the goal, and that's what you want to try and aim for. Uh, obviously not too calm that it becomes laconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to try and keep a bit of tempo in it, I suppose. But 
I guess the real answer is it varies from driver to driver. Different drivers want different things. Yeah. And how you deliver the notes at the end of the day, it has to be whatever the driver wants. And for Seamus, our style is we do a lot of repeating. Um, mm-hmm. I follow him through the corners. We, we we stick with the corners, you know. We're never too far up the road ahead. Everything is as it's, as it's happening. And we sort of, the, the corners are anchored. This is where we are. That's where we're going. And sometimes come back to repeat of, repeat where we are and it just seems to work for us I, I put that down a lot to because Seamus is one of the older style drivers where he would have started his rallying without the benefit of pace notes so he would right. have been back rallying back then it was on... like just root notes right like a tulip Ex- type of thing yes tulips yes so you're doing a lot of rallying on, on line of sight and what you see and having a feel for the corner and that plays against you a little bit on pace notes because they're not they're not inherent to you. They're not what you've you've started rallying on. So it's you're trying to learn that habit, and I don't think you ever learn it fully when that's how you started your rallying. But what I find it does mean, and especially with Seamus, I've had it with other drivers who who are of a similar, you know, started rallying at a similar time, would have rallied in the same way at the start. When they come into a corner and they have a moment, either that the corner turns out to be something that you didn't expect it to be through the corner tightening or the grip changing or something going wrong. They have these instant reactions and this sixth sense and this ability to gather up the moment and do something about it. Whereas I think people that are 100% committed to pace notes, sometimes when it all goes wrong, it's going to go wrong and it's more of an effort for them to gather it up and do something. Whereas these older style drivers, they're always rallying with that little bit of a marginal reserve or that little bit of ability that when you go off the edge of the envelope, they can still bring it back and still do something. You know, that the limit is... The limit is a little bit more elastic. That's what I like to think about it. But as I say, it's, you know, every co-driver is different. Every driver is different. And I suppose the secret of the finesse in it is finding what works for each particular driver. And don't really worry what it sounds like or how you come across once they're happy. Mm -hmm. And that's in both your tone and your delivery, but also in the words you use. Because some words that you would use with one driver would mean nothing to another and may, in fact, only serve to confuse them. So it's... It's a very personal thing and a very personal relationship, and I think it works best when you when you understand each other, or as a co-driver when you're willing to when you're willing to adapt and, and do whatever's whatever's necessary and say whatever's necessary because you're just reading what's on the page and it it has to be whatever goes into their ear into their mind and translate out through their hands the simplest way. So that's um, so it's, it's all about building the trust, isn't it? Getting getting a, a level of trust between the two of you really quickly yes i think so and it works it works best when you do trust each other because then you're more relaxed in the car and it's i i something for me i think the biggest buzz comes from that when you trust somebody implicitly mm-hmm. and i can think of some of the best rallies i've had have been times where you've with with drivers that you haven't really had the moments or when you've had the things that have the potential to go wrong or starting to go wrong you look across them and they're supremely confident, you know, they, they have this. So that confidence feeds back into you that you can just don't worry about it. Call the next corner. We're going to get there. Whereas if you don't have a doubt in your driver, you know, if you do have a doubt in your driver and you're looking up and you're thinking, oh, if you're looking for where you're going to go off the road as opposed to what the next corner is and having confidence that you're going to get around it, that's not going to come across in helping you do your job best. And it's not going to give them confidence in your ability. So it's... I wouldn't go as far as to say fake it until you make it, but the more <laughs> confidence you have, the better it is for everybody. And it, it just it, it feeds into everything. But then, of course, there are times when, you know, difficult stages or difficult moments when something's going wrong, whether you have a problem with the car, you've just conditions are difficult. 
sometimes it's it, it's hard for driver and co-driver to keep your composure and just say, right, you know, let's get through this. But Seamus, for example, is one that's that's very, very good at that. No problem in backing off and just holding back that 10% when something when something's not working right, you know, if there's an issue with the car or there's an issue with the conditions. And we've done that many times and it, it that approach has, has served as well. But that's something you only learn, I think, with experience. And between us and the car, we have plenty of that. So mm-hmm. I think we have, we're, we're able to do that, you know. Cool. Yeah, because this, this, is, this is the thing. It's like, this is the great thing about rally for me. It's like, you're... You're an extremely experienced driver, and I'm a co-driver, and I'm, I've only been doing this like two or three years, yet we can both, we've both been in that situation in the car where you feel that trust between driver and co-driver, and it, it, it's, it's a fantastic feeling when you actually have that between the two of you. It, it is. It's a great buzz, and that's, that's when it works best, but you're not going to get that on every stage for no. whatever reason, you know, rallies, it, it's, it's never going to be perfect. That's the thing about rally and it is always changing. You know, you can throw out all these cliche sayings like, you know, racing drivers see one corner a thousand times. We see a thousand corners one time. So by dint of that, it's always going to be different. And my own personal favorite, the one I pr- like to reference every now and again is that for every mile of road, there's two mile a ditch. love it which means there's plenty of opportunities to get it wrong and plenty of opportunities to be stuck somewhere that you don't want to be and watching everyone else go past you so yeah because it's so so varied and but that's why i think when it when it works well and you get a finish and you get a good result in you know despite all the challenges that's when it pays off and you you know you have that sense of satisfaction and achievement when you get your result Every mile of road, two mile of ditch. That needs to go on a T-shirt, doesn't it? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Hang on, I'm just going to pause this call and run and copyright that and trademark <laughs> right? it. <laughs> in the U.S. championships over the years, you've competed in both the Evo and in the uh, two-wheel drive escort. That's not mm-hmm. so much an escort, really. Um, preference going four-wheel drive versus two? <sighs> That's a difficult one to answer because I was even um, today I was watching some footage of us in the Evo for a rally we have coming up, just comparing previous stages to what we're going to do this year. And I'd sort of forgotten just how much speed we carry in the Evo and how effortless it was that we were actually, it seems to be that we're going a lot faster. Whereas in the Escort, I don't think we're carrying the same terminal velocity but we seem to be doing more driving in it. Uh, it's, it's it's funny. They're different. You know, they're, they're very different. And what I enjoyed this year was comparing certain stages, how it felt in the Evo, say, previously, and now how it feels in the Escort. Uh, they're, they're just, they're both very, very different. I mean, the Escort is a supremely capable machine and it's it's an Escort, but not as we know it in that it's, uh, you know, it started out life as a 1977 Ford Escort shell and over a number of years and lots of... Um, nips and tucks and engineering cuts and rewelds and you know supreme cad cam design and all these sort of things it came out the other side of the jrd rally sport garage with essentially somewhat you know r4 mitsubishi type suspension with you know the mustang the modern 2017 mustang engine in it and all these things where it's it's almost got a foot in both camps of sort of the evo type suspension and technology and so on with the modern engine it just so happens that there's 50% less wheels propelling you up the road, but it's it's 
it's a car that I, I cannot think of an equal of it anywhere else in the world, to be honest. And it is a privilege to sit in it. And while I say, you know, the Evo was fast and everything seemed effortless in the Evo, this one for sure, The one of the big things this year is the amount of fans that come up to us and tell us that it is such a fan favourite. And, and we like that. I, I like that people appreciate that we put on the show for them because we always appear interview very sideways. You've always heard us before we come interview because the car is so loud. So I can appreciate for people on the ditches watching it. It's it's an enjoyable car to see and it's something different. And I, I always remind myself every now and again sitting in it that it is a privilege to sit in it because it is so different and there's it is very much one of a kind at the moment until it until a brother or sister appears for it. At the moment it's uh, it's a unique machine. So very enjoyable, yeah. And I think because it is so rare, probably if you park the two of them side by side and said which one will we take, I think you'd have to go on the escort really for all of all of the above reasons. Here, here. <laughs> that's that's quite the machine that uh, Johan and, and the guys have helped uh, prepare. It's it, it, it's fantastic, and uh, I I'm just a fan really, and and I love seeing and hearing you guys go by. Um, you know, one one thing I also want to touch on is you know you guys came out west to finish the championship. Now, for you, is that the first time you've been west of the Rockies rallying in America? No, no, not at all. No, and uh, previous seats in, in previous JRD cars with uh, Ting Lu Song had been out to Olympus before, uh, had been out to the Nameless Rally before. Um, in I think it was 2013, did quite uh, yes. a lot of rallies. Yes, and... I remember the Nameless Rally. I was yeah, there. I was yeah, a volunteer yeah. slash marshal back then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we did all those rallies, and then we won the Californian Championship and things like that. You know, so we would have been in Arizona and. Prescott, all those sort of rallies. So, no, I have have come, yeah, Fifle has come west before, all right, yes, but um, not for a couple of years. But I always like coming west and enjoy the rallies there. It's it's, it's such a different feeling and a, a different scenario than, than the East Coast rallies. So it's nice to have that difference. And in particular, I always give uh, have a little bit of an extra buzz for coming to the Washington rallies because I have in my mind the special place that rally and those stages hold in the history of the sport, being yes. the last place that we had Group B cars. So I consider it a privilege to come and race on those roads for, for that reason. And specifically at Tour de Forest, some of those roads were specifically used as uh, part of the uh, 1986 uh, Olympus Rally, and they will probably never be used again, some of those, because it's going to be part of a wildlife preserve. That's Well, I didn't know that part of it, but yes, I that was one of my first questions to Doug Shepard, and Doug being... Such you know, such a doyen of the sport, and having been around in so many guises and wearing so many hats in the sport, he was the guy I knew I had to go and ask and say, "Listen, which of these stages, which bit of road here is going to be the same road that we would have had the Quattro's and the Group B Lancy is going up and down in the mid '80s?" Because I wanted to know that just for myself. When you're sitting on a start line and thinking, "Right, this is this is the same stage," just to have something in in the memory banks to be able to say. You know, I never would have thought when you were watching those videos and, and things. I know with YouTube now, they're they're even more accessible. But, you know, back in the day when you would have been trying to find old VHS cassettes of what the Group B cars were like and what that era was like. And to see rallies in, you know, see Olympus and that, to, to now know that we had the ability to, to go there and do that. Because if you think of it from a racing point of view, you can be a fan of F1 or Indy, or, you know, open wheel or, you know, sports cars and maybe never get the chance to drive. Le Mans or Spa or Indianapolis 
you know, no matter where in the sport you compete, maybe you just don't have that opportunity to go to those places and, and follow in the wheel tracks of other things. In rallying, we're lucky enough that you can do that. I've been lucky enough to do stages in Wales that have been part of the Wales Rally GB in, in another guise. I've been lucky enough to go to Monte Carlo and do the Caldrini and things like that. And if I was a racing driver, again, not that I'm a driver, but what's to say you could never have done been able to go to you know spa or road america laguna seca suzuka these things wouldn't be an option to you probably so we're we're lucky that we're able to do that and it's just another unique special thing about rallying ian faded away probably lost his mute button again oh, oh there you go sorry lost my See, mute. he does I that i do that all the time <laughs> so anyway so do you have like um a favorite rally of all those that uh, you've you've competed in that's a question I've been asked before and a question I don't think I've been able to answer before. Um, I, 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 I struggle to have a favourite. I have, the funny thing is, and maybe it's just the way, it's it maybe, uh, I don't know, is it the best way to look at the sport? Some of the results I remember are the ones that didn't happen for whatever reason. Rallies that I've been doing well on and we've been leading or, or you know, about to do something on as regards the championship or get a special result. And then it didn't happen. Like I can remember leading the Scottish rally one time with uh, an Irish driver and we were, it just was one of those rallies that seemed to be effortless. Everything was, was going our way. And, you know, the Scottish was British champ. It, it was not a British championship around that year, but it was one of the ones I would have looked up to, you know, as a young guy coming up, watching it on the TV and we're leading the rally. And I remember sort of pinching myself thinking, my God, we're leading the Scottish rally. We're going to get this thinking, you know, we're going to get the same result here and we're going to get our names on the trophy. And then we had a simple mechanical failure and that was the end of that. So there's, it's, maybe it's a negative way of looking at it, but things like that do, they're the ones that stick out in my mind, unfortunately. I suppose the ones that got away and there, there's been a few, but then there's been the ones that, that you know, that did come our way too. And I, I remember those. Um, I remember winning uh, New England with Seamus, you know, when I came to America first to do rallies with Seamus. The first rally I did with him was New England and to think that a couple of years later we'd be lucky enough to win it. There was a lot of relief at that final stop car, that final control. And we have some lovely photos of the two of us there just because it's quite tense going into the last stage. You know, could we, all we had to do was stay on the road to win it and we managed to do it. So that, for that reason, because I like to think of, you know, as I said, the circle coming around full circle. New England was my first rally with Seamus in the US. And then a couple of years later, we were lucky enough to win it. So, yeah, that holds a special place in my mind. Uh, STPR as well, because that was the first rally I came to do in the US back in 06. So I always like STPR. Um, it's going to be different next year if we, if, we, if we do the event. Being in September, that'll change it around a little bit. So that's going to be a good one. Um, and then the Irish rallies, I always like going to Killarney for, for that rally because fantastic stages down there. You know, in Ireland, we have a lot of very good rallies to choose from. And the way I think of it is you have Donegal has a fantastic atmosphere, but Killarney has stages that there are no equal for perhaps anywhere in the world. Mm. So if you get a good day's rally and down in Killarney, that's always a good one. So it's it's, it's probably a favourite, but I I guess I, I like all of them, you know, any, any, <laughs> any rally and I'm, I'm happy to go do it. There's, there's no bad ones. I mean, just, so, doing, just doing recce myself, it's like if I could pick sections of this rally and these and then mix it with that one and then the you know you could make the ultimate rally right <laughs> yeah that's something i do think of myself as as we're going through stages on on wrecking and sometimes i'll write that in my own little notes to remind myself to say 
you know, I, this looks a little bit like that rally and this reminds me a bit of that stage and it helps me, for me and just whatever way my brain works, to come back to stuff and say, yeah, this is a bit like that stage and I remember this reminds me a bit of this one or we use this road in such and such a year. And yeah, you, it's you, you, it's all a big jigsaw and you put the different pieces of it together and at the end of the day, they're all just roads, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've, we've we've touched on it a couple of times, and uh, let's talk a bit, little bit about the tarmac rallying in our in Ireland. Because I mean, you have I've, I've watched plenty of in-car videos, and you have some stunning scenery out there. But, um, how does the tarmac rallying differ from from rallying on gravel like we're used to? Well. In Ireland, which is probably what I can speak most to, as regards the width of the roads, in some places in the US, the roads are actually probably wider and in some places possibly smoother. So our roads uh, are quite narrow, you know, secondary back roads, bumpy roads. Yes, we have the beautiful scenery in places, particularly along the West Coast rallies. We have some fantastic scenery. Not that you should be looking at it when you're <laughs> no. in a rally car. You know? It's not really the time to be admiring it. Or if you have the time to admire it, maybe you need to be, you know, poking the driver to come on a bit. But, um, yeah, what we have in Ireland that's different is the tarmac has more grip, I would say, obviously, than gravel because it's a sealed surface. It's not a loose surface moving underneath you until it gets wet. And in Ireland, we do have the odd bit of rain and you meet what's called shiny tar, which is the polished surface of the tarmac. And when you get to that, you just have no grip at all. It's it's almost like like black ice in some places. So that's what you need to need to be watching for. You know, in the rain when you have the shiny. Once you see the reflection off the road, you need to code into your mind that that's a place we have less grip. So it's um the the grip I suppose is is the biggest change, and the fact that you all of a sudden don't have grip, whereas on gravel the grip is always changing. The car is always moving. And I guess maybe in tarmac rallying, you're carrying more velocity. So the jumps are bigger. It just depends on the technical nature of the stages. In Ireland, we do have fast, wide open stages too. But for us, for reasons of average speed and keeping the average speeds down, those sections normally aren't too far or too fast before they're broken up by Mm -hmm. chicanes to reduce the speeds. So that's just the the nature of the sport and the way it is. You have to keep an eye on on safety too. So that's, that's how it is. Um, I, I know you got to catch a plane here real quick and, and, and just want to get a couple other questions here. Now, in talking about Irish rallying, it, it kind of got a reputation of, shall we say, creative use of the rules in some cases. Um, I, you know, kind of a, if you didn't see it, maybe it didn't happen. I, I just want to know what's the most outlandish or bizarre thing that you've experienced at an Irish well, I, I couldn't possibly say, and we have a we have a very healthy regard for the rules. We certainly would never break rules. <laughs> we may have found some that may be more malleable to bending than others. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I could tell you much of those stories while while still competing. May have to wait till uh, we get the biography. You didn't have to name names. names. I'm just like, what is like a, a car well, that let's... suddenly shows up maybe to a stage start with no service in between? Suddenly there's new rubber all around, you know, that kind of thing. Those, well, to be honest, those stories are not they're not as prevalent as they used to be. They certainly were in the past. They're not just the sport has come away from that a little bit. 
but there's still there's still probably a bit of that but we may or may not have had times where uh the car maybe the, the co-driver had checked into the control and let's say the car was maybe a couple of miles down the road and just hadn't appeared yet <laughs> so like, you, know, you know you know like a ghost car that 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 may have happened on occasion it it it, it may have happened uh it may have happened to me on a forestry rally a number of years ago, and uh, it may have been highlighted to me afterwards that maybe the choice of a, a bright red suit wasn't really the best choice of fashion when you were trying to clock into a time control, minus your car and minus your driver, and then try and hide in the hedge waiting for arrival. <laughs> that, I love it. That's great. That, that, that may have been pointed out to me. But I mean, it just—I I think in in Ireland certainly, as you go down the field and the, the the club men, there is a good sense of camaraderie and a good sense of trying to help each other, and that the rally is there to be won on the stages, and nobody is really out to overly apply all of the rules to the letter of it. That it's it's a clubman sport, and we're all there for a bit of fun. So you will have a good bit of camaraderie and a good bit of uh, help amongst people, including, let's say, maybe sometimes people could be working on a on a car in a control. You know, I've seen it in, in rallies where I think it was in Donegal one year, actually, Chris Meek's car, I think, if I'm remembering this story right, where they had an exhaust problem and everyone just got around the car, tipped the car up at its side, fixed it, put it back down on its wheels and, you know, away you go. And I can remember another scenario where there was a guy had lost a wheel after the final control, after the final stage, stopped car and on his way back to the finish and got to the finish on three wheels with a number of people hanging out of the car trying to balance it just to get them to the finish. So we have those sort of things, all right. They wouldn't, when you see them happening, let's say, they wouldn't be a surprise to your eyes. You, yeah. yeah. It's it's the culture of uh, helping one another out and that the, the rally is won on the stages and let's, let's, let's get it done would sort of be the, the overriding attitude, let's say. But I, I like to think that, yeah, <laughs> we, we do have some creative work around the rules. Every every now and again, yes, yeah. <laughs> well, um, as you get ready to uh, head off to your plane here uh, to go to LSPR, um, which is a wonderful, wonderful rally. Um, yeah, that's that's the next. That's our sort of, I guess, it's our end of season hurrah. Um, as you referenced earlier, and we we had a very good season in the area championship, and we very much enjoyed it. It was uh, for us, it was a flawless championship. Everything ran like clockwork for us. There was nothing, nothing wrong at all. You know, with the car ourselves all year, all the rallies, everything was flawless. And we we came into the season as probably we always do. Let's do this rally and that rally, and time permitting, and if it all fell into place. And we did. We started the season with that attitude, and then we were getting good points, and we found ourselves funneling in towards being able to get a result in the championship. So that's what caught our attention. And that's what we headed towards, and we we're very, very glad at the last rally in Washington to be able to to get the finish and get the points and claim the championship because it's that's something that can never be taken away from you to put your name in the record books like that and, and have the championship for the year. And it's a, it's a good reward, not just for us, but for the guys working on the car that we had such a clean championship with, with no problems, no retirements, and with that that's we got the championship. Uh, we had good competition, yeah. We could never let off. You know, Eric Potts ran us very close. Mike Cooper, when he came to rallies, ran us very close as well we could never we could never you know take our eye off the ball we always had to keep a, a measured and controlled pace go quick enough that we were able to stay in front of those guys but and and not make a mistake and not go off the road or just not 
you know, keep keep everything clean and, and going forward. And that's sometimes not the easiest thing to do. So uh, good sense of achievement, good good sense of relief to get that done and get the championship and another another tick uh, in the on the CV and another result to bring back home to the Burke household because Seamus has many fantastic results in American rallying and it's great that he, we're, we're still doing it and we, we hope to continue and do it for another while with, with this car and you know maybe on, until maybe the reins have to be handed over and it's Joseph's turn to be the one taking all the prizes home to the Burke house. Well and he's uh, going to be competing this weekend as well right? You got the full family yeah, affair. He's, he's, yeah yeah it's very much a family affair this weekend. He's out in the Evo uh, a car that's very much under development he's had some rallies this year where he's been very fast and the pace has been good and he's been at the top of the leaderboard. But just some niggly problems with the car, you know, finding things, because it's such a new machine, finding some small things that are going to break on it and finding the limits of the car. Hopefully this weekend he'll find the limits of the car and everything will, will stay going for him and he, he'll get a good result because he, he deserves it. The pace is there. It's just a matter of being able to carry that pace from start to finish of a rally. Uh, for ourselves, it's... Just it was a rally we'd always planned on doing. It fitted in the schedule. It fitted in time-wise. We've done it. This will be our third year in a row doing it, and we, we like it. My stage is there, so we'll go and see if we can gather some points in that rally and where, where that will bring us. And then the next one on our calendar after that is Seamus is instead of me hopping across over the sea to here, he is coming the opposite way. He's coming to Ireland, and we're doing a rally which is for uh, historic spec vehicles only. So we're doing it again in an escort, but a very, very different escort to what we're used to. We're doing it in an old, uh, it's 1970s spec escort. Oh, and, wonderful. Uh, yeah, so that'll, that'll be something good. So we've two, two more rallies to, to finish out our season. Um, time permitting, we may do one more in Wyoming. It's We just, as I, say, I keep saying, we're very much, we don't get too ahead of ourselves. We focus on what the next rally we're doing and we finish that all in one piece, all good to go then we turn our attention to what the next rally is and that strategy seems to have worked for us to date so we'll we'll just keep doing that and hopefully the the luck will stay going with this um we have a good setup a good car a good team we're very lucky let's just enjoy it while we're doing it i mean i remember um i would be a bit of a racing fan as well as a rally fan and i remember sebastian vettel one time when he was dominating everything in red bull saying something that sounded you know a bit um prophetic at the time when the team were celebrating and he said something we you know enjoy these days because maybe we won't always have them and you know maybe we won't always dominate like this and don't get me wrong I'm not trying to say we're this dominant force or anything like that but we've had a really good year where we haven't put a wheel wrong and let's just enjoy that while, while we're doing it because in a couple of years time it'll be nice to look back on these memories and remember gosh yeah the 2018 season we had a lot of wins we had a lot of good stages everything was good so um, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that we're, we're making good memories while we're here at the moment, and let's let's savor them while they're while they're going on because it's, it's it's a nice time and a nice period in the sport for us. So we just want to keep keep at it while we can. Well, Martin, I believe it's probably it's about time they're going to be calling for yep. you to uh, board your plane. Um... <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> don't want to get lateness penalties going on this, getting onto this plane. We right. managed to keep the seasonal penalty free and on time. If I missed the plane, I don't think Mr. Burke would be too happy. Not so much. <laughs> he'd, not so much. I definitely, he definitely, uh, definitely, there'd be there'd be uh, an opportunity to tease me about it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin. Congratulations again on your championship. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you very much. Very enjoyable. Yes, let's do it again. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you all enjoyed listening to Martin Brady's uh, 
uh, talks about Irish rallying as well as rallying here in the U.S. Uh, man, that guy has quite the career in uh, in rallying so far, and doesn't look like he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. No, no, indeed, and uh, I'm looking forward to him selling that T-shirt. Every mile of road has two miles of ditch. I I want that T-shirt. <laughs> it does sound pretty brilliant. Well, we do have some other bits of news we did want to talk about uh, after chatting with Martin here. Um, we did have the uh, new uh, schedule from the American Rally Association was released just earlier, or just last week, I guess I should say. And uh, a big change. We now have the Rally in the 100 Acre Wood is part of the American Rally Association Championship. Yes, yeah, very excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm um, um... Scott Parrott, who I co-drove at Ojibwe with uh, this year, he's uh, he's been on the phone already to me, and uh, we we're, we're making plans for uh, for next year's schedule. And Hundred Acre Wood is definitely at the top of our list of rallies to do. It's one that I've wanted to do ever since, like the the first. It was actually it was the first rally I attended as a spectator in this country, you know, and I thought this is real. This is really cool. Cool. I was amazed at the amount of people there were watching the rally, and um, I thought, well, this, this is. I would love to do this rally, and hopefully, it'll touch wood. It looks like uh, I'll get to do that one. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, well, it's going to be a little bit of an open paddock reunion if we can. There, um, uh -huh. of course, Doug Patterson, uh, one of the founders of the of the show, he is uh, from Kansas City, Missouri, and uh he is uh going to plan on going there and so we'll be able to meet up with him and i'm really excited for that because i haven't seen doug in quite a while um and if we can if swing it i don't know if he's going to make it but john olsakovsky um they're the our friends that do that uh indycar if you go on to the uh fbc the formula one blog.com they've got the uh, indycar coverage there and that's what doug and john do and uh, uh Anyways, uh, hopefully John can come up as well, and we'll get the whole crew back together again. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at this schedule, and aren't some of the, aren't some of these? Uh, isn't the STPR out of of sequence? Isn't it like in a different part of the year to what it's usually? Yes, quite a bit. So, um, so yeah, the schedule changes quite a lot uh, with the addition of the hundred acre wood. Um, what we have is so it's hundred acre wood in March. Then Olympus is a second round. Normally, mm -hmm. we would have the uh, Oregon Trail Rally in mid-April and the Olympus Rally kind of at the end of April, but they kind of get kind of close to each other, which I know can be difficult when somebody breaks their car and needs to, uh, you know, make sure they reprep for it the It could next be kind event. of difficult for us trying to record podcasts as well, can't it? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so they wanted to make sure the schedule had more breaks in it, mm -hmm. uh, so... You could, you know, so, so teams could prepare for more rounds. Yeah. Uh, also, they they tried their best to keep track of what was going on with other events, uh, so so they didn't have any conflicts, uh, specifically Canadian events. Uh, yeah. I know that you know at least both East Coast and West Coast. There's sometimes conflicts with those, and I, I know they were looking at their schedule uh, to try and make sure there weren't any conflicts uh, with the. Uh, national championship rounds um, and each one of these also it being a month apart i mean just makes it so much more convenient oh yeah and they've got a good flow from you know starting in the uh, essentially the midwest the 100 acre wood then you go west and it's olympus oregon then idaho so you mm -hmm. in idaho's back in june where they used to run traditionally so that's kind of good 
for them. Uh, less of a fire danger then, I think, because, you know, you're going to have still some leftovers from the spring rains that's not quite as dry as it was in September. And I think that's what makes it a good thing that STPR is more in that uh, getting into fall is because you get to those uh, East Coast events, you guys get thunderstorms. We don't. Mm -hmm. So you never have really the same level, I think, of fire risk that we do out west. We'll get a ton of rain in the winter, uh, and all the grasses and underbrush will grow quickly, and then it just gets bone dry. And that's such high, fast-burning fuel and, and such a, a bigger challenge. When you get into the deciduous forests out east, you got just constant little passing showers here and there uh, throughout the summer months, and doesn't quite seem to have those same issues of quick-burn kind of stuff. And uh, so I, I think that, that that plays well to some of those big concerns. I, I know that's something that's on everybody's mind is, you know, the risk of fires. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, yeah, just, just trying to make, again, these rounds so they're spaced out evenly. So um, so after Idaho, we go to New England in July, um, Ojibwe in August, and then finishing off at STPR. I think the one concern about STPR I was hearing is those uh, DCNR roads Department of, uh, what is it, uh, Conservation and Natural Resources? Hey, yes, I think I got it right. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I finally remembered what that was called. Um, they don't allow, I think, intentional running of on those roads at night. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be di- more difficult as you get later in the year and the days are shorter. Yeah, to September is still going to be... Uh, not going to no, be too bad sep- yet. Yeah, it's not going to be too bad, but... Yeah. Uh, you're starting the downward swing, but it's yeah. not nearly at the level of you get a month after that. Like right now, yeah. I mean, I swear it seems like five minutes a day is lost or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <You're> not <laughs> the kidding. pendulum goes pretty quick, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyways, I, I think it's... I'm, I'm really excited about it. Again, some new yeah, rounds. Yeah, sure. um, Tour de Forest, as you can see, is not part of the national championship. They switch back to being a regional round. Um, I did hear there was a challenge with that one in that mm-hmm. um, they ended up being the same weekend as PFR, the Pacific Forest Rally in Canada, not knowing that ahead of time. And I think they're looking to try and change that date. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, they, they, they're working on maybe a, an adjustment to that round because they honestly didn't know that the schedule for Canada was released yet when they were reorganizing a Tour de Forest. So they're a little busy finishing the, <laughs> the one that ran, yeah. you know, just a week ago before uh, and, and getting things ready for that next schedule. So it's, a little, it's tough for them to keep track of everything that was going on. So yeah. anyways, but uh, yeah. also some other regional rounds that are part yeah. of yeah, yeah, right now, right? what we have, What do we have? Four? Four regional rounds next year. We have Headwaters, Tour de Forest, um, Show Me. Show Me, yep, which would be using yep. the roads um, from uh, 100 Acre, yep. Yeah, and then uh, then Namaji. So we have four regional four regional rounds. All... Four dedicated regionals. Uh, yeah, I think that adds a, a good mix. And, yeah, mix. Uh, it's good uh, to see up... ARA getting behind uh, doing more of the regional sport. Yeah. And, and let's not also forget that um, Namaji this year is with ARA as well. They've oh, moved, they weren't last year. That's they right. were with Rally America last year, and now they are with the ARA. And uh, apparently, it's it's been because this is like a um, a short notice decision. You're going to be able to use both your 2018 or your 2019 license to re- to compete there so 
looking, look, hopefully looking forward to being in a car there for certain. Because I mean, that's only just down. That's only a few hours down the road for me, and I, yeah, as per usual, I know no, we no virtually everybody involved there, so it'll be a, it'll be a good day out for everybody there. Well, then, of course, we have, uh, I guess, finishing up in rally news, we do have, of course, as Martin Brady had mentioned, the uh, LSPR, which is kind of almost the last round of the uh, Rally America Championship. Mm -hmm. Yep. A little bit sad that I can't be up there this year because they they really are great roads to be be on. So who is the hot favorite for... For that this year, I'm putting my money on uh, Peter Fatella. Yeah, I think Peter Fatella is probably good. no Joseph Burke. Oh yeah. Now that Joseph's gonna be out there in that car. Ah uh, yeah. 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 Um, Fatella will be up there too, uh, but it's gonna be between those two. I think that'd be a good one to to try and follow for sure. Um, they they've got a great list of. I mean, last I looked, there's like 56 entries. So oh, good on them. Uh, that's yeah. that's a great event. I know a lot of people like it. Um, the, the organizers are awesome. Just, yeah, it it is a good season finale event. Um, I I also, interestingly, I heard that, uh, Rally America was posting that they're planning on testing some sort of live timing solution. It's not the solution that's used by ARA. It's not rally safe. So I'm not sure what it is that they're going to be working on, but... Uh, it's very interesting to hear that they're moving towards that route because mm-hmm. I, I would say it's, it's something that our sport needs. Um, as a fan, yeah, I don't want to wait three hours for times. No, no. Um, granted, even with uh, ARA, sometimes because of the lack of uh, cell signal, because those devices they can only report so much. And of course, there's still other things that only a time card can do, uh, mm-hmm. penalties, things like that. So it's never going to be 100 percent perfect, but. I think we do need to start moving towards our sport having more live timing solutions, and that I think is very, uh, very important for the fan base to to stay interested. Otherwise, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's rally this weekend. Well, I'll mm-hmm. check on Monday or Sunday yeah. night, you know, because <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're a member of a certain you know types of Facebook groups or whatever. But it, yeah, it's just hard." It's just hard to keep track of the sport unless you have some sort of solution like that. So, anyways, uh, really excited to uh, to all my friends that are uh, competing up there. I know Al Dantes, he uh, fixed the brakes, thankfully, on Rexine. Because uh, <laughs> I don't remember at uh, Ojibwe, uh, he had zero brakes and didn't tell Ooh. his co-driver. Yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Uh, okay. yeah. Don't want to scare him, so we'll just won't tell him. We'll just be just a little more sideways in okay. the corners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it it made for good video. I saw some video of that, and uh, yes, it it made it it makes for good YouTube video watching. Agreed, agreed. So, but yeah, geez, just such a bevy of uh, competitors out there, and I, I believe also there's a great uh, little two wheel drive um, uh, championship thing going on there. Well, not championship, oh, yes. but uh, they, yeah, they've the, got the a, Sisu Challenge. That's yes. what it is. Thank you, the uh-huh. Sisu Challenge, and it, it's. Pretty cool. I'm 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 excited to see uh, who wins uh, some of the different things out there. It, it, it should be fun. So that that, that is a, a great example of uh, how the we were talking about this earlier. It's like it's a, another great example of the camaraderie of the sport and like everybody's like coming together to uh, to make even more of this this one event this this event. 
Well, I hope everybody has a good time. It's going to be, like I said, a great rally, a huge contingent of uh, of competitors out there. And uh, yeah, follow uh, Rally America for the timing on that. I'd, I'd like to see how the timing uh, goes on. Uh, that'd be really cool to see. Moving on from American Rally stuff, let's talk a bit of WRC news because there's been a wee little bit of drama since uh, Wales Rally GB. And we didn't really talk about Wales Rally GB, but... Uh, most of you, I'm guessing, who follow WRC know what happened there. Boy, talk about a tight championship right now. Uh, yeah, it's um, what is it? Eight points between OGA between OGA and Newville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and of uh, course Tanak Tanak crashed. Oh no, he didn't crash out. He broke down on a transit, didn't he? So he didn't score any points at all. So yeah, um, it was pre- Tanak ripped off his entire uh, sump guard. Oh yeah, it was it was Evans. That was Elvin that Evans, yeah. Elvin Evans, Elvin Evans had that the, broke down in transit. A misfire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember watching watching the video from there. I was watching Slate Mountain from Blind Alpha Stineog and I was looking at the rain and I was thinking, This is what Wales Rally G B should be about. You know, oh yeah. That that was what that when my wife and I went last year, we dressed for that weather. <laughs> and course, yeah, we had blue skies and bright sunshine so we i felt a little bit cheated at that but uh, well let me were... tell you if you came to tour de forest you would have felt proper wales rally gb weather <laughs> we had it all for you yeah the championship is getting even more tightly poised with like just spain and australia to go it's it's going to go down to the wire so answer me this if you're OGA. Do you intentionally put yourself in a position where your points are just behind Newville going into Australia, or do you want to be the points leader and be first on the road? Oh no, I think you want to be. I think you want to be behind somebody in Australia on that first day. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That that yes, it's going to be tough. I mean, what kind of a game are they going to start playing? going in you know at, at spain because they're so close now you could see them either of them like back off intentionally playing a points game yeah this could be exactly really interesting i mean we, we we've seen the um we've seen the games gamesmanship even even at the start of the season didn't we with uh when people were like compl- when 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 ogier hit that barrier and uh when Ogier was wait. Was it Ogier that was waiting at the at the start of the the stage to to um get a get a, get a, a later start start position? Oh yeah, but yeah, but that wasn't where he got a penalty for it though. He no, he did it in a manner that allowed him to get more of a dust window. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so. Yeah, we we seen that actually happen in American rallying as well. So yeah. uh, they do it within the time control. Um, yeah, so so basically it's like you're approaching the start, and you, you, I think they they actually did a a funny thing when uh, last season's uh, the Grand Tour when they were talking about how Lancia won the last ever uh, championship in a rear wheel drive car, and how the guys would do tricks like that, like they'd be coming up the stage. And they'd want more of a dust window, and so what they did is they'd be like, oh, you know, my seatbelt, I just can't get it on straight, and you mm-hmm. know, start fiddling with it. And as the clock's kind of getting ready to go start, 
and they wouldn't force them to start on their start minute, so they'd give them another minute because, you know, safety first. You got to make sure yep. they're seat belted, mm-hmm. you know, and then they'd get it all tightened and boom, then they'd go at the time that they desired with no penalties. Um, yeah, there, there definitely has been some uh, gamesmanship uh, that, that, was, that was attempted. And yeah, <laughs> well, we'll have to see uh, how that turns out uh, the next round in Spain, which super excited. Alex Gelsomino uh, returns as co-driver for Ken Block in mm-hmm. one of those 2017 era uh, new uh, WRC Fiestas. And that's just a wicked looking freaking car. Uh, they've been out there testing this week. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, it looks. So I was looking I was watching some uh, video just today of it. And yes, it's uh, um think they're going to have a good time there. Uh, I think they certainly will. Other rally news. Uh, so the big bomb to drop, although I, I'm not sure if I've seen it as being official, but I think it was Autosports reporting that Chris Meek's going to Toyota. It's Yeah, that seems to be a, a done deal right now. Uh, the bigger bomb that dropped today is that he's not going to have uh, Paul Nagel as his co-driver. Interesting. Yeah, hmm. it's yeah, it's uh, now I'm trying. I've got, got to get my facts straight, and it looks like now. Now this is this is the rumor that I heard. This is what I heard this morning. Chris Meek will be co- will have Seb Marshall as his co-driver oh, next year. Okay. Uh-huh. Boy, now this starts really starts moving things around because yeah. So you now have Seb Marshall who normally co-drives for Payton Padden with the Hyundai yeah. team. Payton mm-hmm. doesn't have a, have a contract done yet. His mm-hmm. contract's over at the end of this year. You've got some Meek comes back. He's going to get uh, presumably the full season with Toyota. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I can see why Seb would want a full season instead of a partial season. So where does Padden go then? Padden, latest I've heard, Padden is going to M Sport. Hmm. With uh, Malcolm Reed as his co-driver. Now, now this this is where it gets complicated. Not that it's complicated. This is where I don't know if that would happen. Only because Hayden is so embedded with Hyundai's brand. Ah. Now this here's the thing. This is what I've heard because because for um, because it isn't an official Ford Works team. It's right, just it's M Sport Ford. It's he, not Ford yeah. Performance. Yeah, so Hayden is still would still be free to compete in a Hyundai For in the, the Antipodes. Okay, so and in the AP4s Australia and Australia and New Zealand and all that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, I so, can believe that as as long as they're willing to uh, to work with that. Um, so uh-huh. so co-driver of who though? Uh, Malcolm Reed. Um, it's not a name I'm particularly familiar with. That just yeah, me came. Either. So, yeah, was... so if that's that chess piece moves, mm-hmm. um, I know that, that. Does that mean Danny Sordo stays as the uh, the car there for the third car? They think they think that uh, Hyundai are going to be Newville, Gilsall, Mickelson, Jaeger, and Sordo and Del Barrio. Carlos Del Barrio with Danny Sordo. So Sordo would have a full season again. Yeah. Okay. Which would be nice. I think he deserves it. He's done well. So. He's done all right. He's done all right. Yeah. Um, so. I, mean, I mean, he is Mr. Consistent uh, when it comes to some of the finishing results. A winner, a rare occasion. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's not what they're looking for. If they were looking for somebody just somebody to just get the points 
for the championship as a you know manufactured championship i can see wanting to go that route so then we've got the whole citron thing right yeah. OGA goes to citron OGA and Citroen, yeah and and if we are led to be led to led to believe that lappy and yanni firm are the uh, the other car the other car at citron okay so that's where the toyota seat that goes to meek now goes over there yeah so now you can have meek yari Matty latvala as far as drivers yes i understand i'm not talking co-drivers but uh, so meek uh yari Matty latvala and oit tanak as yeah. toyota's three mm-hmm. so you got toyota pretty much figured out you've got um hyundai pretty much figured out citroen you've got okay lappy and ogier are they going to run a third car what happens to breen uh breen and the latest rumors breen goes to m sport i think that would be a good fit for him mm-hmm. um yeah. he has obviously been a, a good relationship with the team i think over the years uh you know yeah. particularly when he you know won his uh diversity academy uh in a ford fiesta uh and done many an r5 run i think uh in the fiestas man i i, I kind of would have liked him to stay at citroen he did a lot of good work for them, and as far as if they want to win a manufacturer's championship, the rules, I think, are not changing as far as you can... I think it's the top two cars, which you can have all three classified, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the top two finishers. I mean, with does Lappy have the consistency that Breen has? Hmm. Mm. I don't know. Maybe he does. Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like he, he's been really consistent. I mean, when he doesn't have the feeling in the car to be quick, he backs off and seems to stay on the road for the most part. So I guess I can see that. Yeah, perhaps perhaps Citroen will keep a third car for that, um, well, maybe they could, for that other guy, you know, the one. Stefan Leferbe? No, the other one, the other one that won the World Championship five or six times, the French guy, Loeb. Oh, that guy! <laughs> that one, that guy—the one, the one that won nine <laughs> world championships. Yeah, yeah maybe they keep a car for him, and because um, who's who puts the money behind Citroen? Uh, the uh, Shake. Um... Oh, Khalid. Al Kasimi. Al Kasimi, yeah, perhaps, perhaps him and Ogier, or, uh, perhaps him and Loeb will run a third car. Okay, I can see them I mean, the uh, sharing putting, one. The guy's guy's putting all that money into the team. He's probably want to cut, want to want to have a drive every now and again. True. Um, I wonder how they they've had Stefan Lefebvre in their uh, Citroen R5 car for a little bit. And well, actually, that that's I guess one of the next things we can talk about. There. So next in the news is we, the WMC, the World Motorsports Council, had their meeting and they approved the schedule and some other changes to coming to the WRC for 2019. One of the big things with that is in WRC2, it's going to be split now. Yeah. So we now have a R5 Pro Championship, which will be the manufacturer-backed teams and drivers and co-drivers. And then you'll have the WRC2 that's not pro, and that will be all the privateers. Uh, What's your thoughts on that? In a way, I think it's kind of like um, maybe a little, little bit uh, overcomplicating things. But if it brings back people like, um, if it can bring back um, uh, Solberg and, um, there would also be room for like um, Toyota to bring some of uh, the uh, Japanese people 
into yeah, a more... I guess it, so I guess th- this is where it gets interesting for me because what if it's a team that's manufacturer-backed but they're not running the car for the manufacturer, right? So let's say you have, uh, you know, the um, Tommy Mackinnon Racing is doing all of the work and running to, I don't know, uh, Fiesta R5s yeah. for the for the Asian guys, and they end up, you know, being quite the f- dominant force because they've, you know, they're not really put, they don't have a lot of their own money in it, right? Yeah, it's still manufacturer backed per se by Toyota, but not Toyota run. So where do you draw the line there? Hmm. Yeah, that's... It does make it a little more complicated, I would think. Okay, yeah, it's not Team Skoda with a Skoda, but yeah, that's this is kind of kind of interesting. I, I'm curious how this, to see how this ends up playing out. But I'd like to see <laughs> Lukyanuk uh, come over, yeah. and mm-hmm. he's been uh, really quick, and some of the other guys have done the ERC. Um, yeah. That are privateers. I'd I'd like to see them. I mean, with those, with all those, all those guys, all those names that could come up from ERC. You know, I think it would be a very, a very competitive championship. It could be. It could be. So interesting change there, though, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, I think on the flyaway events, it's going to make things look a little weird, though. You're going to have, you know, three cars or something like that on the R5 Pro. And three cards that are the privateers or something like that, and everybody gets on a podium. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, other interesting bit is um, JWRC does continue with M Sport. No surprise there. But WRC three is completely dropped. No real surprise there, because WRC three kind of like meant that three cars were competing in the event, wasn't it? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, well, one of your favorite drivers that you've been following oh louise louise cook of course yes she's uh she will she was been competing in wrc3 so yeah she's exactly. gonna have to yeah so but well yeah i've said i've said my piece i mean it was it was there was many times when there was just like there was at least two maybe three events that there were only three wrc3 cars competing so i mean it's not really it's not really a financial financially viable to run a championship just for that. So. All right. And just a couple other last bits of news on WRC stuff before we wrap up. Um, the schedule was announced. It's now 14 rounds. There are a couple of changes, uh, I think most notably, and most, and I think most people knew it was coming. Uh, Chile now mm-hmm. is right after Rally Argentina, so you got um, Rally Chile that we'll have. Yeah, so that's I'm I'm excited for that one because I mean, Chile, Chile is mostly known these days for Dakar for Dakar yep. in exactly. uh, in in South America. So I'm I'm interested to see what uh, what the rest of the country looks like. So because mostly we see them plowing across the big trucks plowing across the dunes of Chile, and uh, I'm excited to see what what they actually have is it going to be well, we don't know a thing about the, the rally yet is yeah, it going to be altitude is it going to be in the andes? what roads that they decide to use um yes yeah, so, because if it's going know. to be at altitude in the andes then that's going to be a whole different uh different kettle of fish for for the cast performances isn't it It'd be like uh rally mexico plus rain yeah <laughs> or something could like be that interesting yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, could definitely be interesting uh, i think most notably uh for me that was interesting is the lack of uh rally japan being mm-hmm. on the list and yeah, there was a lot of talk about that there was and uh toyota were were 
were wanting it and uh unfortunately it's not there so maybe it'll be there next year i i would hope so uh for 2020 yeah because uh yeah they've obviously put a huge investment in the sport um honestly not since the likes of you know when volkswagen Mm. had their big presence Uh, i think toyota's been kind of on the same level as far as their outreach their um impact in the sport you know they they've been really pushing hard at helping grow rallying. They have the passion there. And and we know the Japanese fans are just crazy awesome when it comes to rallying. So mm-hmm. uh, I think a round there is pretty much required. We need to get there. And yeah. uh, maybe it will spark some interest from other manufacturers, as we've kind of talked about um, in the past. Uh, if not in top WRC cars, then maybe in building R5s um, or something like that. So yeah. uh, would like to definitely see something like that. Now, the final bit of news coming out of uh, WRC stuff, and probably the one that flat out pisses me off the most, mm-hmm. is that the maximum competitive distance for WRC events has been now reduced from 500 kilometers to 350 kilometers. Yeah, it pisses me off too. Because. Ra- what happened ra- to in- rallying being an endurance event? I mean, we've already gotten to this short uh, sprint type uh, format, which is mm-hmm. better for TV. I get it. I But. What I liked, uh, which kind of ended last year, was Jean Tot had made it that there would be like a, I think he called like a super stage um, in each event. It would be like one stage that was like 50 kilometers long or 45 kilometers long. Each event would at least have one of those. I liked that. It would be like yeah. the decider. It would be, uh, you know, it was really cool to have something extra challenging at each event. As you make these this shorter and shorter sprint styles, it, you're getting closer to this being more rally sprints just kind of bundled together yep. than it is stage rally. I, 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 I can't, I can't disagree with you at all. You know, it's like you and I and uh, Tom Firth, the motor, motorsport monk or motorsport maven or whatever, whatever, what, what do we call Tom? He, he, is, he is a motorsport monk. We, we, we yeah, he, he, he and I have offline, but told you about the old days of uh, the RAC rally in Great Britain when it was, when it was a rally around the entire the entire country, it would start in the south of England, go up to the north of England, and yeah, then into okay, Scotland. Well, well, yeah, I'll give you one a... thing there, but the difference was, I mean, that's also going back to where it was tulips and mm-hmm. wasn't even pace notes. Well, yeah, it was to start with, but uh, they were there were um, there were proper proper stages in there as well. But uh, it's so uh, I I long for a, for that kind of distance of rally. It's just it's just not going to happen. With they're just wanting to uh, like cut distances down. Where does it stop after three hundred and fifty kilometers? Do we go down to three hundred? Do we go to two seventy five? I mean, from five hundred to three fifty is a huge That's jump huge. down, isn't That's it? Massive. Yeah. And on so... top of that, you've got where there's um, already a built-in requirement that mm. the transit miles can only be a certain percentage of uh, of the competitive miles. Mm-hmm. And so that further compacts the event to where they're going to use roads that might not be as uh, as good to see. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the, So now that you have to keep everything in a tighter radius, you're not able to go out to where the better roads are, maybe. Maybe, yeah. That's, that's one way to look at it. I mean, it's like... If you have looking at Wales Rally Rally GB, if we cut it down any more, I mean, you're probably not going to be able to go from D side all the way down to Sweet Lamb. Maybe not. So yeah, yeah it's, it's 
it, it's it's more than frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm not a fan of this. I understand wanting to reduce costs. Yeah, I, I'm just not a fan of this. We're just getting away no. from the core of the sport being endurance. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. If it carries on like this, I'll I'll give up on uh, give up on stage rally and go go and pay more attention to Dakar and all the all the uh, long dis- real long distance rallies. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, oh man, we, we get, we're getting on a real downer now. We are, we are. <laughs> well, kind of on an upswing, something I thought was dead is not, apparently, but coming back in a very different guise. Remember Global Rallycross? Um, I thought Global Rallycross was dead. I did, too. And then I got an email. I got an email for an invitation to go to Vienna. <laughs> well, you've got your passport. Are you going? <laughs> I'm not going to Vienna. <laughs> I do have my passport, yes, but I'm not going to Vienna. Um, apparently, there's going to be the European Rallycross uh, GRC series. So it's a GRC Europe. And they're going to be announcing this. Uh, we'll see when I get this edited, but it's going to be on the 18th. They're going to have at this big launch in Vienna um, the new series boss, a Max Poocher or Putcher, I, I, I don't know the guy's name, I apologize. Um, they're going to have drivers like Alex Vertz and Topi Heikkinen's going to be there, um, as well as some uh, handicapped racing ace, uh, Rennie Sample. I don't know who he is. I haven't, uh, I haven't followed his uh, background. Um, then they're going to have some uh, major uh, German motorsports TV presenter, um, uh, Marin Braun, is going to be there uh, as well. One of the big things is they're going to be announcing this championship where we'll have, uh, it's rumored so far they're going to have two classes of cars. One is going to be the traditional supercars that we're used to in the World Rallycross and in America's Rallycross, which is the uh, successor to what GRC was. And a thing called GRC Titan, which is a one-make Rallycross series uh, using a thing called a Pantera RX-6. And these Pantera RX-6 vehicles is a tubular chassis, engine, suspension, basically the whole kit, without the sheet metal body um, or carbon fiber body, whatever they put on the outside of it. Uh, you can apparently choose your, design your own mm-hmm. exterior shell that would be for whatever make that you're racing for. So you can make it look more like a Citroen, make it look more like a Ford, make it look more like whatever, um, and just slap that onto this tubular chassis. And it's supposed to be exponentially more affordable than running the true supercars that have gotten extremely expensive, without a doubt. That sport, uh, World Rallycross, has skyrocketed in popularity and in cost. Um, so much so, uh, I, I believe Audi pulls out at the end of this season. Um, and... Volkswagen is pulling out of America's Rallycross uh, here in the States. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting sport. Um, but they're not dead yet. Um, yeah, 10-round championship is rumored as well with this European GRC thing. Uh, I, I, obviously, their goal is to maybe draw in more of those privateers. Uh, mm-hmm. The European Rallycross... Uh, championship which kind of runs alongside the world rallycross guys maybe they're just thinking they're not getting the attention that they deserve and would come over to this thing i'm not sure interesting to to say the least and this new titan 
series uh, and and vehicles. Interesting, interesting things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just have to see. I mean, if and I would say it's it's cost is the important thing. It's like if you can bring the costs down, you you could be able to bring more people in and. Uh, if uh, if you're putting whatever kind of body you want on this uh, Pantera chassis, I mean, who who knows what you could what you could race? You know, Aston Martin, anything, Throw on whatever body you want on it. Yeah. yeah, I'm guessing the profile would only fit certain vehicles. Probably, though. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I guess that's about it. Any final words before we wrap up the show, Ian? Uh, no, not really. You know, it's um, we're coming to the end of the the season. We've got the silly season well in well well in in motion. So we've still got two exciting rounds of WRC to go yet. So we'll see what happens. Well, yes, definitely end of the season. The uh, ARA Championship was just awesome. This, uh, oh yeah, I guess the first uh, podcast I've had since uh, we've been back uh, from from Tour de Forest. Wow, what a year! Uh, I, I I still can't believe I'm doing the job that I've been doing with them. It's been so much fun, and I hope that we can do even more next year. A lot of cool conversations that we had um, with um, some of the management folks and uh, and some of the other media people, and a lot of ideas. We just need the funding, so hopefully uh, we can find some extra sponsorship dollars or whatever to make those ideas come to fruition. Uh, there are definitely some doable things out there to make an even bigger presence for uh, uh, rallying in the U.S., so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens next, but uh, I only have so much vacation time, guys, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that said, um, thanks, Ian, for coming back on the show. Love your new car. Enjoy the moonshine. <laughs> That's it for this week's Rallycast. Uh, please give us a good rating on iTunes or whatever other podcast app you use to listen to us. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Actually, I'm going to be start adding these to YouTube. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that's been kind of sitting there stale and languishing for years. I'm going to start uh, putting those up there as well so we'll have a better archive of uh, past shows. There won't be any video with it. It'll just be uh, just kind of a splash screen and just the audio, but just gives you another way that you can listen to this and share it with your friends and whatnot. So if you like the show, make sure you do share it with your friends. We appreciate that. Anyways, uh, as always, comments and suggestions are always appreciated. For Ian Holmes and our special guest, Martin Brady, it was awesome to have him on the show. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening.